Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning as we take a look at Hannah and uh, the life of Hannah, uh, I think uh, Hannah is probably a, a name that some of you might be familiar with, uh, but it might be somebody that you're not too familiar with. And we'll really cover a lot of uh, the life of Hannah this morning, but one of the things that I, I uh, if, if I were to make a request to God to have put some more details uh, in his word, of course God knows best and, and God knew everything and so he divinely chose exactly what to put uh, into his word. One of the things that I would have requested was to have a, a, a little bit more detail of the parenting life. And uh, what are the details of raising up the child and exactly maybe some of the things uh, that these parents had told uh, their children and uh, some of the, the ways that they instructed them and taught them and uh, maybe just uh, gave an example to them. And uh, that's one of the things that I wish because when we take a look at the life of Hannah, we obviously know that she was a great influence on the life of Samuel, but we don't actually see too much of what uh, Hannah did and how she did it. But this morning, as we look into this kind of backstory into uh, really uh, the, the life and story of Samuel, I wanted to take a look at several characteristics of Hannah. Number one, I wanted to see the Christ-like integrity of a godly mother. The Christ-like character or integrity of a godly <clears throat> mother. Because... Uh, we see here in, in, in this, uh, in this uh, just short couple of verses, we see that Hannah really began to face some uh, trials and some difficulties. And uh, from what we read is that we see that, you know, there's Hannah and Peninnah, and uh, Peninnah had children. She had sons and she had daughters, while Hannah had none. And of course, in that day and age, a, a, a lot of uh, your status was based upon you know, uh, bearing children. And so she obviously would have faced a lot of personal disappointment. We'll read it in, in, in just a few moments about how she was uh, very disappointed in not being able to have children. And she also faced some great discouragement. We see that her adversary provoked her year to year. Now, we, we don't see the name, but we assume that it's Penina because it's year by year. Her husband was obviously a loving individual. And so we see that she faced a lot of discouragement from an adversary. Every single year there was a reminder. And I'm sure it was, you know, in that kind of a situation where Elkanah, as we read, gave gifts to his wives and gave gifts to his children. But unto Hannah, he gave a special portion, extra, because he knew some of the disappointments that she was facing. But I'm sure her adversary would use that as a way to kind of attack Hannah, maybe to put her down and things like that. So she would have faced some personal disappointment and faced some uh, discouragement. And, and she would have faced, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, Elkanah was a, obviously a loving individual and, and tried to do his best. And, you know, we read it in verse number 18. He says, you know, why are you crying? You know, why aren't you eating? You know, why are you so sad? And then he says, am not I better to thee than ten sons? All right, the husband says to the wife, am I not better to thee than ten sons? And I'm sure that Hannah was thinking, 
no, not really. I'd like to have some suds, you know? And he's like, oh, I, you know, he doesn't have anything to say. You know, he's trying his best, but he's just not really doing a good job of, of comforting her. And so she would have faced a lot of discouragement, a lot of disappointment. But what's extraordinary about Hannah is the way that she responded to her trials, to her disappointments, to her situation. You know, one, one, one pastor put it this way, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Another person put it similarly, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. And Hannah, although we don't see her parenting, we don't see maybe some of the specific details, we see that she responded in a great way to this disappointment, to this discouragement, to the different situations that she was faced with. I see that she responded with patience. When you read in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, we see that every single year they would go to the, to the uh, tabernacle and they would worship and they would, you know, offer gifts to the Lord. And, and this was every single year. And every single year she would face that disappointment. Every single year she would face that discouragement. And uh, it's an important thing for us to remember patience. Patience, first of all, is sometimes when we think about patience, we think about, you know, we're just sitting there and uh, waiting for something to happen to us. But biblical patience really has more of this idea of endurance, of continuing on the path that you're going on, of continually taking one step after another. If you've ever, uh, you know, tried to get into running, and, uh, you know, you, you're saying, you know what, I need to get in shape, I need to start running. That first time that you run, it's, it's difficult. It's a trial, it's a tribulation, and your, your side starts hurting, your legs start hurting. But this biblical idea of patience has the idea of enduring. You know what, it's painful, I don't want to keep going, but I'm going to continue taking one step after another, after another. And even though Hannah was facing discouragement, she continually lived for the Lord and carried some godly characteristics with her. And it's important because it, it, our society is becoming more and more of a, of a microwave kind of a society. You know, Amazon now has this two-day shipping, right? And I, I heard that there's 100 million subscribers to Amazon Prime. They get this two free two-day shipping. So you, you order something on Amazon, two days later it shows up at your door. But for some, that's not fast enough. So Amazon, they're trying to figure out this drone delivery system. You, how many of you have heard of what I'm talking about, this drone delivery system, okay? I don't know how it's going, but I know that they're trying because what they want to do is have a delivery time under 30 minutes. That's their goal. Their goal is you press click on your Amazon, you know, order, 30 minutes later, it finds you and it drops off the package where you are. Because two days is too long. One day is too long. I can't wait 12 hours, 10 hours, one hour. I need it now. And, and uh, you know, when we're uh, waiting to watch a video, you ever have a video and it buffers? And it takes too long to buffer and then you're like, I don't need to watch this anymore. Anybody been there? I've been there. It's just, you know, you're waiting, you're trying to be patient, and they're like, I don't need to watch this video. I'll go watch something else. You know, but that's, that's becoming more and more the mindset of our culture, but raising godly children, as all of you mothers know, simply takes time. There's no shortcuts for getting from newborn to adult. 
You know, Brother Robbie just had his firstborn, you know, about five weeks ago. And uh, what a wonderful thing. You know, I see little Jeremiah. And it was funny. I saw the, the tiny little the tiny little diapers that newborns wear. And I, and I saw that and I was like, wow, I, I can't believe that Skylar used to be that small. And, and we were looking at some pictures to put up on our wall. And we're going back through some old pictures. And, and I was reminded of how small Skylar was when she was born. And now she's growing. But, but there's, no, there's no shortcuts when you're raising a child, it just takes time. It just takes time. You know, it'd be nice if, you know, after five weeks, you know, if Jeremiah, he could walk on his own so you didn't need to carry him. It'd be nice if he could say a few words so he could say at least things like, I'm hungry. You know, I need to be changed. I'm tired. It'd be nice, you know. It'd be nice if, you know, your, your, your child would just be able to do things on his own, clean up, do all of these things. But there's no shortcuts to it. Amen. <laughs> That's why, you know, patience is so important. You know, and, and just a lot of things in life, when we look at the way that God did it, it just takes time. You know, you look at, you look at the trees around, it just takes time. You say, I want this big, you know, nice, uh, you know, tree in our backyard. You know, we can put a swing for our kid or put a little tree for it up in there. You plant a tree, you're, you're going to wait several decades before it's big enough. It just, it just takes some time. And when you look at the Bible, a lot of times what you see is a time frame that maybe would be longer than what we might expect. When you take a look at the life of somebody like Moses, remember Moses, he was in Egypt for 40 years. And then he killed a man and he had to run for his life. And then he was out in the wilderness. He was out in the wilderness for how long? He was there for 40 years. He was 80 by the time that he returned back to Egypt. And then he, he brought the children of Israel out, and then he was in the wilderness for another 40 years. You know, we would say, wow, God, why are you taking so long? But, but God was more interested in molding Moses into the man that he needed to be more than he was in how quickly he could get Moses there. You know, sometimes we're just more focused on how quickly can I get somewhere than thinking about where is it that I should be or where I should go. And God was more concerned with the character of Moses than just saying, all right, let's, let's bring you back to Egypt and try to try this over again. We see that Hannah, in being patient and enduring year after year after year, displayed a quality that I'm sure was greatly influential on the life of Samuel. We also see that she responded with prayer. Verse number 9 says, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. So after they, they went up to uh, the, the tabernacle area and they worshipped and they had eaten. And then it says, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Here she is. And so she, in her response, year after year, decides to go to the Lord in prayer, verse 11 says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Here is Hannah, and she goes uh, to uh, the, temp the tabernacle area, and she just prays to the Lord. 
You know, when you're facing some problems and difficulties, that's always a great response. It's always a great response to just go to the Lord in prayer. It's always a great response to go to God in prayer for any disappointments and any discouragements. I also see that she responded with a presentation. Verse number 11 says, and she vowed a vow. She made a promise. She made a promise to the Lord. And look at what she promised. She says, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid. God, if you will just see the tribulation, the problem that I have, if you'll just look on me and remember me and think of me and have care and concern for me and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. She, she desperately wants a son, and she, she goes to the Lord and says, God, if you'll think on me and, and give me this desire to have a child, she makes this promise. She says, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. What she did is she said, God, if you will answer my prayer and give me the son, I will give my son back to you. That's what she promised. She said, God, if you give me the son, then I promise you I will give him back to you. What a wonderful spirit that Hannah had. She was a giver. She was one who was willing to give to the Lord. She was one who was willing to offer to the Lord. And really, every single one of us as parents ought to have that spirit. Maybe not in this kind of a presentation, because as we'll see, once she raised Samuel just a little bit, then she brought him to the tabernacle area, and he lived there, okay? Now, those of you that maybe, you know, you have your children, and you say, God, this, this is your child that you've allowed me to have a part in his or her life to raise him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, uh, but please don't bring your children here and say, all right, he's, he's the Lord's and, you know, serve here. And Brother Richard, you take care of him, all right? That's, that, obviously, that's not what we're talking about. But you see that she had that spirit of, I want to give him to the Lord. And really, every single one of us ought to have that spirit as well. To understand that really every child is a gift from God. And every single child that we have in our care is really an opportunity to give that child to the Lord and say, God, whatever you would want. I know that this child is entrusted in my care, but this was a gift from you. And, and whether he, you know, maybe he goes into full-time ministry or maybe he works in a secular field or, or she, she, no matter what area of life that she might go into, where she may live, that she would or he would serve the Lord. What a, what a great spirit for us to have as parents in general and, and specifically here, Hannah as a mother. I also see that she responded with praise. We see that God answers Hannah's prayer. What a wonderful God that we serve, by the way. We have a great God who remembers us, who thinks on us, who cares for us who sees the needs that we have and, and remembers that and thinks about it, and, and, and God wants the best for us. You know, sometimes I know that, you know, during the work week and, and just as you live life, it may feel like sometimes there are moments of disconnection with God, but God is looking on you every single day of your life. 
You know, God notices what you're going through. You may, you may feel like, you know what, uh, my, uh, my family doesn't understand what I'm going through. My church family doesn't understand what I'm going through. My friends, they don't understand what I'm going through. But God sees what you're going through, and he sees every single thing that you are going through. And we see that God saw what Hannah was going through, and, and he provided the answer to her prayer. And when she received the answer to her prayer, she praised the Lord for it. Verse 25 says, And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. Here is Samuel. And verse 26, And, and she said, And Hannah said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. Do you remember that time? A couple years ago that I was praying here and, and uh, she was praying and we, we didn't read the verses, but she was praying there and she was moving her lips, but she wasn't uh, vocalizing her words. And so Eli was there and he was there by the post and he saw this and he thought that maybe she was drunk. And, and she says, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just in bitterness of soul and, and I'm praying for this. Please pray for this. And, and he says, may the Lord bless you. And, and uh, she comes back and she says, Eli. You remember a couple years ago, there was that woman who, who was praying here. You remember the situation? That was me. You remember what I prayed for? I prayed for a son. And you see what I'm bringing this morning? I'm bringing that son, Samuel. Verse 27, for this child I pray. And the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So Hannah brings Samuel to the tabernacle area, and she says to Eli, look how God provided. You know, that's a great testimony for us as believers to have, to be able to go through a trial, a tribulation, ask the Lord in prayer for an answer, receive the answer in prayer, and be able to go back to those people and say, you remember the prayer request that I had? The Lord, he answers prayer. I serve a great God, and he answered my prayer. I serve a wonderful God who heard me, who remembered me, who cared for me. Verse 1 of chapter 2, and Hannah prayed and said, now she's not talking to other people. She's going directly to the Lord and says, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Do you know what Hannah is saying? What Hannah is saying is, you know what, here I've, I've come to the tabernacle area, I prayed, I received an answer to my prayer, and, and God came through for me, and now I know that my God is not like anybody else's God. You know, I serve a greater God, and that's what Hannah is doing. She's praising the Lord. Lastly, I also see that she responds with persistence. So she's going through this trial, this tribulation. She has an adversary. Uh, Penina has children. She has none. She desperately wants them. And she responds to this with patience. She prays to the Lord. She offers him in presentation to the Lord. She offers praise to God. And also she continues with persistence. Verse number 19 says, Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. You know, what I see in Hannah is great consistency. You know, before Samuel, she went to worship the Lord year after year after year. After Samuel was born, 
And after she, she raised him and offered him to Eli, she continued to worship the Lord. You know, that's a great thing for a Christian to have in their mind to say, you know what, no matter what happens in my life, I'm just going to continue worshiping the Lord. You know, if God answers my prayer this year, then I'll, I'll, worship, I'll worship the Lord. You know, if God doesn't answer my prayer this year, I'll just continue to worship the Lord. And we see that in Hannah. And we see that afterwards, even though she had raised him and spent some time uh, raising Samuel, and now she's offered him to the Lord and now taken him to the tabernacle area, we see that she's not like, well, just because Samuel's out of my house, I'm done with the mothering. You see that every year she's providing for Samuel, right? Every year she comes and she gives this gift to her son. And I'm sure that every single time that she goes there, she's reminded of the answer to prayer that she got from and I'm sure that every time she sees Samuel, she tells him, you're a miracle from God. You're, I asked for you from the Lord, and God gave you to me. And I'm sure that built up a great faith in Samuel. And she continued with persistence in raising Samuel. She had a great, great response. So we see this Christ-like character integrity of a mother. We also see the consistent influence of a godly mother. So we know that here is Hannah. She spent a few years obviously raising up uh, Samuel in the early years of his life as a, as a newborn, obviously. And then she takes him to the tabernacle area. And now she's basically being raised by Eli, the high priest, right? Right? She's basically being raised by them. But as we'll read, and we'll read this in just a few moments, but what we see is that Eli wasn't exactly a great parent. He has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. He has two sons who are not really doing well. They're priests, but they're not exactly living the way that they ought to live. And so here is Eli. He's a good man. He's a, he's a, he's a, he wants to do what is right, but he, he's not really being the parent that he ought to be. And you see that in the result of his children. And you see this comparison and contrast. We'll, as we go through the next chapter, we'll see that God focuses in on Eli's children and then focuses in on Hannah's child. And it goes back and forth, and we see this comparison. And I think one of the things that that does for us is it helps us to realize that even though Samuel was no longer in Hannah's house, her influence still stayed with Samuel. Even though Samuel was no longer living with Hannah, even though he didn't see her on a daily basis, he just saw her one time a year when she came up to sacrifice, right? Even though he was in a home under Eli where the other children were not doing godly, Samuel consistently lived for the Lord. And we see that, I think, that Hannah, through her mothering, her influence persisted beyond just the years that Samuel was in her home. We see that even after he left, that he continued to live for the Lord. We see that because of Hannah's influence, Samuel turned out to be, he was a ministering servant. When you see in verse number 12, we actually take a look at Eli's children. We take a look at his sons. It says, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. First of all, I don't want to spend too much time here, but what a terrible testimony. 
for the high priest. The high priest had an especially close relationship with God, right? He would go in and he would offer the sacrifice and he, would, he had special service, you know, there. But what a shame that his children didn't know the Lord. And in the next couple of verses, it talks about the custom of the priest. We won't take a look at the verses, but, you know, there's a certain custom. In verse number 16, it says, And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth. He said, This is the way that it should be. Then he answered him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. This is the spirit. This is... This is not the way that it ought to be. This is not the attitude that ought to be there. Verse 17, though, says, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. These two sons were, were, they were committing some great sins before God, and you see the result of that. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Because of these two sons' sin, now everybody... They despise that offering. Here's the thing about people is people know holiness when they see it, right? People understand godliness when they see it. They understand what it means to be a Christian. Lost people know what Christians are supposed to do. You know, if you have lost friends and, you know, you have lost coworkers and and you're with them, the moment you do something that you know you ought not to be doing, you ever have somebody call you out on it or seen somebody do that? Non-Christians, they know the way that Christians are supposed to be. And here are the people of God. They also know the way that the priests ought to behave and the way the sacrifice ought to be done and the way that the offerings ought to be done. And we see that the offering was despised because of what these two men had done. What you see really is because of the way that Eli didn't handle his children properly, the offering then began to be despised by the people. But the very next verse, what you see is, Now this comparison with Samuel. In Samuel, in verse number 18, we see, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. You see the spirit that Samuel had? The spirit of Samuel was not one, Give it to me now, and if you don't, I will take it by force. He was just a servant. And you see that Samuel, really his whole life, he was a servant. He just wanted to help people. He just wanted to be a service to others. First of all, before the Lord and also before others. And you see that it's not because Eli was that positive influence that was there. You know where he got it from? He got it from Hannah, his mother. He got it from those early days in life. And, you know, before I had children, you know, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really, you know, get to spend a lot of time with a lot of young children. But now that I have my own uh, child and, you know, she's going to be too soon. I really see, wow, in those first 24 months, and, and I'm sure in the next, you know, a few years, there's a lot of things that children learn in those first few months and years. You know, Skylar, she's learned so much about life. She's learned so much about what to do and what not to do. And she's learning that, you know, mostly from whom? She's learning that from us. She's learning that from me, and she's learning that from, from Esther. And that gives great hope to me that the time that we get to spend with her can have a lasting influence even beyond the days that we get to spend with her. We see also that he was a mover and a shaker. In verse number 22, we see that Eli's children, they were not influential, but we see that Samuel really became that influencer 
in that time. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. So it's not like Eli didn't know what was going on. He knew what was going on. And how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I mean, they were committing some great wickedness here in the tabernacle. Verse 23, and he said unto them, Eli says to his children, why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is not, for it is no good report that I hear ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord was slain them. You see, the attitude of the children was, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. That was Hophni and Phinehas' attitude. But you see, in contrast, the spirit that Samuel had in verse 26, and the child grew on, and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. I believe that because of the time that Hannah spent with her child Samuel, those first few years, she raised him up in a way to be a servant. And because he had the attitude of a servant, he grew in favor with the Lord and also with other people. You see the way that Eli's children responded to Eli? You see the rejection that was there. You see the, the limited influence that Eli had on his children. You see the opposite with Samuel. You see the way that Samuel, he was a servant. You see the way that Samuel, he gained an influence. And we'll see the influence in his overall life in just a few moments. But we see that he was a, an influencer, a mover and a shaker. He was also a modest submitter. He was somebody who would just uh, submit himself. In verse number 29, again, we, we're going back and forth between Eli's children and Hannah's child. We're going back and forth between Hophni and Phinehas and Samuel. We see this comparison and contrast that God is kind of showing us through this chapter and through the passage. Now we're back to Hophni and Phinehas. And, and uh, in verse number 29, there's a prophet that is sent to Eli from God. And he's speaking to Eli regarding his children. And in verse 29, it says, Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in mine habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Verse 34, And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two children, on Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. He says, this is the judgment that I'm going to bring on your children for their sins. I'm going to kill them both in the same day. And you'll know it was me because they both died in the same day. Verse 35 says, and I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. So here we see the way that Hophni and Phinehas were. But now we're going to see the influence of Hannah on her child. Chapter number 3, verse 1 says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep. So here's the situation here. The situation is that the word of God was precious. You know, obviously, they didn't have, 
you know, the Bible like we do. You know, they didn't have, you know, uh, they, they didn't have, you know, all of these books in the Bible that we have. And so any new word that they would receive, that was precious. It was so valuable to them to be able to have that. And so now he's beginning to describe that Eli, he's starting to get older, and, and now it's nighttime, and, and this day, you know, it's at the end of the day, he's there, he's about to fall asleep, and Samuel is there, and he's about to fall asleep, and then in verse number four, it says that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again, and he went lay down. You know what happened is, here is Samuel lying there. And the word of God was precious in those days. To hear the Lord speak to you, that, that wasn't common. That was such a, a precious thing. And so here is Samuel. He's there with Eli the high priest. But God's not speaking to Eli. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Samuel. And notice the response that Samuel has, the way that he responded. So God says to Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responds, here am I. And he gets up and he runs to Eli. He thinks Eli's calling him. And he runs over to Eli and he says, here am I for you called me. He said, you, you call for me? What do you want? I'm here now. And Eli says, I didn't call you. I didn't, I didn't call for you. Just go back to sleep. What a, what a, what a great response from Samuel. Right? Don't we all wish that our children would respond that way? Skylar, here am I, for thou callest me. Right? I wish, I wish Skylar would respond that way. Here am I, for you call me. What do you want? What can I do for you? That was how Samuel responded to Eli. That's the way, that's the character of Samuel. When you called on Samuel, Samuel said, what do you want? What do you need? I'm here for you. I want to be a help. How can I, how can I help you? You wanted me? And Eli says, I didn't call for you. Just go back to sleep. You, you must have misheard. So he says, okay. And he goes back to sleep. Verse number six. And the Lord called yet again. Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. Same response. You see that there's a lot of sincerity in Samuel, right? There's a lot of sincerity there. He's not suspicious. He's like, oh, I, I heard it again. And he goes over there and he says, here am I, for you called me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Samuel and said, or went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. Wow, you see a great sincerity in the desire of Samuel just to be obedient to the word. Samuel, here am I. Thou callest me. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. It happens again. Second time. Happens again. The third time. You know, you've heard the phrase, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Here is Samuel, though. He's, he's so sincere in his desire to obey to be humble, that he responds time and time and time again. Finally, Eli figures it out. Therefore, or uh, verse number eight, and Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore, Eli said unto Samuel, go lie down, and it shall be if he call thee that thou shalt say, speak, Lord, 
for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and, and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. You know, really one of the keys for us to be able to see our child to grow up as godly men and women is for them to have the attitude towards God's word, speak for thy servant heareth. Samuel ended up being a great influence because Hannah had such a, an impact on the life of Samuel that his attitude was to the Lord, speak for thy servant heareth. And this all happened after uh, Samuel had moved out of Hannah's home. But you see a consistent influence of a godly mother. We also see the continual impact of a godly mother. What I see is, if you look up the name Hannah in the Bible, you'll see that it's limited to two chapters. 1 Samuel 1 and 1 Samuel 2. And you basically never see Hannah again listed or mentioned in the Bible. We don't see it beyond these two chapters. But the impact of Hannah is known by every single one of you and is felt by every single one of you. Because here's the story of Hannah. Hannah was faced with some difficulties, some disappointments, some discouragement, and she responded in a great way and raised up Samuel in a godly manner. And Samuel began to be raised up in a great way and lived for the Lord. He had a servant attitude. He, he, he was a listening individual. He was a servant. He wanted to live for the Lord. Samuel, what he did then was influence the world. We read about the stories in, in Samuel because we have these two books called First and Second Samuel, right? Here's the interesting thing, though, about Samuel is Samuel doesn't make it to the end of his books. Samuel actually ends up dying in chapter 25 of First Samuel. He doesn't make it to Second Samuel. But why is that, right? Doesn't the main character live to the end of his own book, right? Isn't that the end of the book? But it's not. You know why? And I believe it's because God is giving an indication of Samuel has died in, in 1 Samuel 25, but his influence lasts beyond his years. You know who he influenced? He ended up influencing a young man by the name of David who became the king of Israel. You know who anointed David to be king? It was Samuel. You know when David, he was running for his life from, from Saul, the king? You know where he ran to? One of the places that he ran to was he ran to Samuel. You see that Samuel was an influence on the life of David. And, and you know that through David, the whole world was changed, right? We know that Jesus comes from the lineage of David. We see that through David, we see a great influence on the world because of a man, Samuel. And Samuel was an influence because of Hannah. One of the great, I think, joys of, of thinking about mothers and their influence is to know and to understand that their influence lasts beyond their years. 
You may have heard of a man, a preacher, his name is John Wesley. John and Charles Wesley are fairly uh, well known. Charles Wesley was a hymn writer. He wrote a lot of hymns. So one of the hymns that he wrote was, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? We've sung that hymn here. You're familiar with the hymn. He wrote that hymn. You know the, the Christmas carol that we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? You know who wrote that hymn? It's Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley and John Wesley had an amazing mother. Her name was uh, Susanna, Susanna Wesley. And uh, Susanna Wesley, uh, she, uh, well, her husband was uh, kind of an interesting fellow. There, there was a period of time in, uh, when, uh, when she was raising up her children that, that uh, he, because of a dispute, ended up leaving the family. He ended up returning later, but he was gone for a little bit of time. And what Susanna Wesley said was, you know what? Even though he's not here and he's not here to support me, I still have this duty of raising all of my children. I think she had 11 children. And so she said, I'm going to raise them up. And the, the, the day that they turn five, they're going to start learning. They're gonna, the, they, she said her rule was the first day of school, your job is to learn the entire alphabet. And so that's what they did. The day that they turn five, happy birthday, now learn the alphabet. All right, okay, and so now all the children, they learn the alphabet, and they raise them up, and, and uh, she was a great positive influence, and really England and the world was changed because of them. Here's what John Wesley said of his mother. He said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. You know, it's, it's, you know we look at all of the scholars, and we look at all of the technical books regarding the Bible, but you know what John Wesley said of of his Christian life, he said, you know who was the most influential person in my life? It was not my Bible college teacher. It was not my seminary professor. It was not even some of the pastors that I was under. You know who the most influential person was? It was my mother. She taught me more how to be a Christian than any other individual. He said, my mother was the source from which I derived the guiding principles of my life. Many of you may have heard of uh, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he, he preached a, a message uh, called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, he preached here in America, changed America. There was a revival in part because of his influence. And uh, I was reading about how there was a, uh, you know, in the beginning of the 1900s, there was a pastor and an educator uh, who wanted to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. And so he's going back and tracing the lineage and, and seeing all of the, the different, you know, individuals that came out of that family. And it was interesting because according to his research, he said the, 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 the descendants of this man, Jonathan Edwards, obviously because of his influence and, and obviously uh, uh, his wife and, and, and the mother, that legacy included, I don't have the names listed here, he said one vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. You know, Jonathan Edwards made a significant impact on the world through his preaching. And I, I, there's no way to measure this, but it's possible that he made even a more bigger impact because of what his descendants did after he was gone what his children and great-grandchildren and his great-great-grandchildren did in the years afterwards. And so here we see this morning Hannah. We only see her listed for two chapters, but because she said, I want to live for the Lord and raised up Samuel to live for the Lord, he not she not only changed Samuel's life, 
she changed the world through the life of Samuel. Such is the influence of a godly mother. You know, we should be thankful for the godly mothers that we have, the influence that they were on our lives. You know, the influence that they have is going to outlast them. They'll, they'll have to watch from heaven what happens afterwards. But what a great and a wonderful blessing it is to have a godly mother.